So the name of the show is What Had Happened Was, right? And uh, what I like to ask people to do is say what had happened was and then say what had happened. Um, yeah, do you want to give me an example? You can say whatever you want to say. People have said all kind of things. So it's like what had happened was. Like what had happened was. <laughs> and then you say something after that? Yeah, like you know how the, the phrase is what had happened was and then you say what had happened. What had happened was this Ohio girl made a name for herself on RuPaul's Drag Race. Hey there, pals. Thanks for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. I have a mighty fine show for you today. I spoke with a proud Ohioan who is proving that drag is often about more than just big old hair and being ferocious. And RuPaul Drag Race contestant Nina West's case is also about raising millions of dollars and being a champion for kids right here in the Buckeye State. Nina West is the stage name of Columbus actor Andrew Levitt. As you'll hear, Andrew and Nina are very much the same person, and that person is tenacious as all heck and could probably never get away with cheating at poker. This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks over at Cox Digital Marketing. It is now easier than ever to keep up with episodes of the What Had Happened Once podcast. You can, of course, find the show on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Google Play, and other podcast services. And now you can find us on the WHIO app for Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV. Subscribe to the show and rate it to help other folks find it and to help it keep going. Now here's my talk with Nina West, who I spoke with via phone. All right, so thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, of course, thanks for having me. I know people around here were pretty excited that you were on the show. So you got on Drag Race. What do you want to show the world of Nina West? I want to show the world that being nice and kind and compassionate and are not uh, bad words and that I am a full package here and that I'm a, a true talent and I'm proud to represent my state of Ohio. And the work that I'm getting to do on the show and after the show is going to only resonate with people who live back here and especially some young gay kid some young gay boy or girl who's gonna say you know look he did it and he can live his dream i can do it too you've been wearing like uh, columbus gear and ohio hats and stuff like that was that a thing you did on purpose or you just happened to be what you brought it was definitely intentional i definitely put thought into what i was gonna wear <laughs> how i was gonna represent myself uh just in my day-to-day clothing on the show i am such a success story here and it was really important for me to pay homage to columbus and ohio how much i love the state yeah. when you say ohio that's one of the reasons it's kind of awesome that you're wearing like the ohio stuff all the time is i don't think a lot of people know that ohio is not just like people sitting on the porches eating corn you know what i mean Did yeah you- oh yeah i mean like, I, hear, I hear that all the time i mean like the columbus is just in cowtown and it's like it's like the 13th largest city in the country right <laughs> Like the center of the center of tremendous industry, Victoria's Secret nationwide, and Abercrombie, and Bath and Body Works, and all these remarkable businesses. Wendy's are all based out of Columbus, Ohio, and people are like, "Oh, well, I didn't know that." And it's like, "Well, but all of Ohio is pretty great. <laughs> it's not like there's just we're standing in a cow field waiting for an airplane to drop off." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're like uh, counting the heads of cows or pigs or something weird like that but i do think that's what i'm from cleveland originally and dayton is a big city too compared to a lot of places right and people just don't think there's actually paved roads or buildings higher than a house you know so it's kind of weird you get like drag queens from la and new york and atlanta and chicago and all this stuff who've done it in the past and who have done it now did you feel intimidated at all from those uh queens from bigger well-known cities no no, um, 
No, because I've no because I toured the country 2008 to 2010, and I've seen what a lot of people do in other cities. Um, I was just really secure in my own art form. Like uh, while drag is comparative on a reality show, it's completely subjective, and so I'm not threatened by somebody else's style of drag because what somebody else does it just doesn't. It's not what I do. In the context of the show, I mean, knowing the show as well as I do. And being such a big fan of the show, I knew there were going to be acting, comedy, improv challenges. I also knew there were going to be runways. So it was like, how do I balance out fashion forward Dina and an acting Andrew, who's really good at those skills. Is the experience what you thought it was going to be? Yeah, it was everything and more. How so? It's the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm one of 120-some people, 130 people that have been invited to be a part of this experience and invited into sisterhood and sorority. And, of course, there are a ton of things I can't talk about. The fact that I've gotten to do it and that really the whole world is just opening up to me, it's, it's a miracle and it's miraculous. And I consider myself really lucky that I get to be one of the chosen few. Not very many people are going to get to do this. I'm lucky enough that I got to do it. Be it and experience it. What's it like to see? yourself on that big stage like that do you think you're coming across as you thought you would or is it not exactly i also love this because that people always want to say oh it's the editing i mean i gave my life up for a, a extended period of time and i everything that you see i did <laughs> <laughs> whether or not i like it <laughs> i did it and so I have to, like, stand in that kind of truth and go, you know, whatever happens here from here on out is something that I did. And I have to be okay with that. Whether or not it makes me cringe or makes me uncomfortable or it teaches me something about myself, I have to be aware that I did it and that <laughs> I gave it to the people who are producing the show and they made it into something that is what it is. My experience so far has been really good. Every episode I watched so far, Everyone who you see on the show, that is how they are in real life. Oh, <laughs> like, really? There's nothing, they're not editing to make anyone look bitchier or angrier or more quiet or funnier. That is how people are. <laughs> and like, I thought before going into it, it's like, oh, it's the edit, it's the edit. It's definitely not the edit. <laughs> yeah, because people always come back and go, well, they made a character out of me or whatever. And you you haven't seen No, it. you made a character out of yourself and you probably just got lost in the moment. <laughs> I can imagine, too, that people are in that situation. They, everybody wants to win because everybody's worked so hard to get there. And people just are. I can imagine that some people are becoming like hyper versions of themselves, too. Just like I mean, it is it is a reality competition. show, and you are the, the, the situations with, that you're put in are not everyday normal situations, which makes it a very unique experience reality tv and filming a show like this kind of distills you down to your the sum of your parts mm -hmm. and you are uh, like the, your true self does come out found out along the way that i did really know myself pretty well and was happening true to myself now how do you get ready for that so getting ready for the show was it was just it was a really time consuming <laughs> but very short period of time and um so you're, you're only given x amount of time and you're only given so like so much information and you're kind of shooting blindly saying okay what what are some of my best looks and what are some of the things that i do well and how and how can i best prepare myself for that <laughs> i mean it's you don't really know what you're getting into because once everything starts to happen all bets go out the window and what you thought you knew when you're sitting at home watching the television going oh i could do that to the, t to the time it really starts you're like oh my god what am i doing <laughs> where do you want to take this thing next I'm working on a children's book. I am working on some other projects as well. 
Um, oh, you work on a children's uh, book. That's kind of different. Yeah, I think it's really important that people continue to have a progressive voice representing representing themselves or, or maybe even their children. I've done so many story times where parents of queer kids who are eight and nine years old come up to me and say, thank you for being someone that my child can look up to and not feel like they're alone. My, my son likes to wear a dress to school. Thanks for being here in a dress and showing him that boys wear dresses too. The story times and those impacts on children have been the most meaningful to me in my career, and that's why I'm really going to focus, I think, a lot of, uh, of what happens after Drag Race on, hopefully, a lot of acting opportunities, hopefully some stage opportunities, movie, uh, TV, if that can happen, and then a heavy focus on children, uh, children's books, and where we go from there. Is it going to be like an illustrated book then? Uh, yeah, you'll have to find out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to tell me. I don't blame you because I would put it out there. Where's the whole thing come from, that whole knowing yourself? Because you seem to really, really, really know who you are, and a lot of people don't. I have had a lot of people invested in me. I've had a lot of people spend time to nurture and care for me. And I've had a lot of time and space to make mistakes. We, as human beings, once somebody makes a mistake, a mistake, we tend to write them off. Or we say, oh, whatever, you just don't get it or you don't understand. And I was raised in a community in Columbus that definitely allowed me the opportunity to fumble the ball, and then many other times they, they threw the ball to me and I was able to run with it eventually. You know, it's not, I, I think being confident and secure, and secure in yourself takes a variety of aspects and things working in your life. I think having <laughs> clear conversations with yourself, with other people, learning how to communicate, knowing how to talk to people, going to therapy, <laughs> and talking to somebody who's on biased opinion, well as striving for goals, setting goals. I think that's how you find out who you are and what you're made of. Yeah, for sure. How'd you get going in drag in the first place? I started drag as kind of a joke in college. Um, I was the president of our our gay student organization uh, at Denison University. Every year, the college brought in uh, drag queens from Columbus, Ohio. My senior year, uh, someone had dared me to do the drag show, and I was like, oh gosh, I couldn't. And then I was like, sure. (laughs) So that's how I kind of got into drag, just as a joke. See, I think I met you a long time ago, because my friend Troy Lyman, he's friends with you. I yeah. Think, yeah, and I think he did. I think you were there tonight. He tried drag, which was uh, horrible. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago, very long time ago. Yeah, that was a long time ago. He was in like pigtails and like a little short shorts because you know he likes uh, country and Gloria. Gloria. Yes. Yeah. Gloria Yeah. Yeah. What is it about drag that keeps you doing it? for like 18 years, I guess, right? There's so many different facets to drag that I love. It's the ability to get on stage. It's the constant ability to create new art. It's also the ability to represent and uh, kind of stand on a platform for the LGBTQIA community, which I think is really important. It kind of fulfills a lot of different goals that I have, you know, with things that I want to do in my life. I've always wanted to be an activist or involved in politics, and mm-hmm. I also wanted to always be on stage, so it kind of does all of that. You've raised a bunch of money for, like, different causes. How did you even think to do that? Yes, I was raised in a family that gave back and that we volunteered our time all the time through our church or at soup kitchens. And then I went to college and the university I went to, I went to Denison University, uh, the idea of service was almost integral. You, everyone did something throughout their academic week to uh, go volunteering within the community, whether that be in Granville or in Newark. And then I also just realized at the end of my college career, I just didn't want, through a variety of different experiences that happen, I just didn't want to be alone, and I didn't want to feel alone, and I didn't want anyone else to feel alone or to feel isolated. And I think having 
a voice to represent someone like me was what I wanted. And so I, I, I found that I had to be that voice because I didn't find anyone like me. Did you have like some bad, like bashing sorts of events or something like that? Uh, like hate crime activity? Yeah. Is that what I think? Yeah. Is that why you decided to go ahead? Yeah. And you well, ra- no, I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a perfect storm of a lot of things. I was raised to be active and to volunteer because I don't think people who are gay bashed are necessarily people who want to stand on the front line of being advocates for queer rights. You know, it can be a really daunting experience. And I just think there was, it was a perfect storm of a lot of different things. I was, you know, a theater kid. I was. You know, someone who was outspoken already. I was, you know, I was a family full of conservative politicians. You, you said your family's conservative politicians? I come from a political family that has conservative politics, yeah. Oh, were they in politics? Yes. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So that kind of helped shape that whole getting involved sort of thing. Yeah. What? What did you think you wanted? I always knew I wanted to be on stage. I always knew I wanted to be a performer for the time I can remember. So you went to Denison thinking that you were going to be on stage eventually? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my goal was to move to New York and go to Broadway. Oh, so you weren't thinking this kind of stage. You were thinking a different kind of stage, like more Broadway sort of musical type stuff? Yeah, but it's all the same. Performance is really all the same. <laughs> so it was going to be, yeah. It just depends, I guess, on the scope of, of what you consider. But it's pretty much all the same. It's all performance. But when, my goal was to be a brother. When did you decide, though, that um, you're going to be a professional drag queen and you're going to travel and you're going to apply for RuPaul and this is going to be your life? Well, that's a big question. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, decided, I started drag in 2001. It wasn't like I decided I was going to be a professional drag queen. I think, like anything, you have to like work really hard at something and really apply yourself and really see what works and what doesn't to see if you even to see if you even work at doing that job and doing drag while it's an art form is also a job. And so it took me about seventeen years to do it part time and to do it as a hobby before I even committed to doing it full time. When I quit my job in January of twenty eighteen and started to do drag full time. I put my notice in January. My last day was March seventeenth and I got the phone call for drag race uh, like a few days later. Going full-time with it was a big choice of my own because I just, you know, I wanted to make sure that I could make everything work. And I decided to chase Drag Race for 10 years because it's the largest stage in the world for drag. And I felt like I belonged on that stage. I felt like I had something to offer the world, and I felt like and I still do. And I feel like it's the best exposure point to help change lives and change minds and make strides of being better to each other and to ourselves. What was that whole process like trying for 10 years and being, not getting in the door? Was it like crushing or? Nina's gonna let us know how she pushed through all those setbacks. But first, I wanna tell you about a cool charity Neighbors Helping Neighbors. Now, Emily, what is Neighbors Helping Neighbors? Neighbors is a program of Cox Media Group. It's underwritten by White Allen and Diagra Women and Schultz, and it's really how we give back in our community. So we do a lot of media sponsorships for nonprofits. We try to focus in the areas of environment conservation, military support and safety, health and wellness, and children's welfare. But we accept all kinds of requests. You can do it at coxmediagroupohio.com, and we really try to do as much as we can in our community. What sort of projects have you done so far? We've done all kinds of things. We have 
uh, sponsored lunches. We've uh, bought school supplies for area nonprofits uh, that help distribute them to schools in the area for after-school programs. We partner a lot with the different brands that we have here, so Dayton.com, uh, WHIOTV, K99, all kinds of things. And we really try to have people out as MCs for nonprofit events to raise money, or we give away TV PSAs, radio PSAs. We really try to work with people to give them exposure in the community they wouldn't get otherwise. Why is that something that we want to do? Cox has been in this community for 120 years, so really getting out there is important. Even when we first started, they did a lot for the community. So I think having a huge presence the way that we do, we want to be able to give back to that. We want people to see how interested we are in helping others. So I have the best job. You know, I get to do things for people <laughs> every day, and uh, we, we really try to accommodate as many requests as we can and try to help as many different types of organizations as we can as well. So one more time, if people want to know more about Neighbors Helping Neighbors, how do they find you? They can go to coxmediagroupohio.com or they can find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks a lot, Emily. No problem. Now Nina's going to tell us how she pushed through until she got on RuPaul's Drag Race. I've never been one to give up on anything mm -hmm. uh, or throw in the towel. If they kept shutting the door, I was going to keep knocking. You know, in the process, I had the luxury of creating my own opportunities. It's not like I was only doing drag race and saying, oh, my life is over. I was also running full-time production shows here in Columbus, Ohio with a cast of 30 people and a support staff of 15. And so it's not like I wasn't doing another kind of dream. It's just I believe in having many dreams, and I believe that this was one of my dreams that I had to achieve. And... I was lucky to foster other things to keep me focused on other projects, but Drag Race was still there. Never let go of it. You guys were doing like holiday sort of extravaganzas and stuff like that. Yeah, several shows, several main stage production shows. We always do a Christmas show. I always did a Halloween show. I always did a spring show. Virginia would always do two shows a year as well. Um, so yeah, there's always, always big shows. What don't people know about drag queens? You see like RuPaul, you think, oh, well, they're bitchy or they're this or that, or they like are consumed with appearance or that they're funny or, you know, people kind of paint a picture of what a drag queen is. What do you think people don't know about drag queens? Well, I think people who might paint a picture of drag queens might only have a certain touch point to them. And so they might only have uh, one area of access to them. So mm -hmm. if you're only seeing drag queens out in a nightclub where you're getting intoxicated and the drag queens may also be getting intoxicated or they're not, or your, or your interaction, you say something that's a big misconception is people think that to talk to a drag queen, they have to act like their idea of a drag queen. So I think people think that drag queens are innately bitchy. So I think they approach drag queens in a, in a really bitchy or attitude-filled manner. And I can't tell you how many times it's happened to me, and I'm one of the most approachable, nice people you could probably ever talk to. But people who don't know anything about the culture or about drag at all will will come into the bar and will talk to me in a certain way. And I'll be like, I just don't have time for that because that's not how you actually talk to or engage a human being. Right. <laughs> so people's perceptions, people's perceptions of what they think really aren't any of my concern because I think if they were to expose themselves to me or to the craft that I do, they would be exposed to an enlightened, educated, intelligent evening or experience or even an intellectual conversation rather than coming at me thinking that they know who I am or what I do. I mean, you wouldn't want anyone to approach you because they, they look at you and see whatever they see of you and they talk to you in a certain way because of what they physically see. I mean, I think that's like one of the worst things that we do as human beings is that we see people as face value and we don't like to talk to them and we don't like to get to know them and we don't give them the time of day. And I think that, and you know, we're going to already, before we even sit down and talk to somebody, we already made up our mind about what the conversation is going to be. 
because I think it's real impressive that you've raised so much money. And the Ruby Girls here in Dayton are another group that's kind of raised a bunch of money and a lot of awareness for LGBTQ issues and causes and everything else. So I don't yeah. Yeah, the Ruby the Ruby Girls have really focused on HIV and AIDS, which has been tremendous. What are some of your focuses? I've primarily done pretty much all LGBTQIA causes, mostly that involve children, homeless youth, uh, our aging senior citizens, and people impacted or affected by HIV and AIDS. Why are those issues something that's so important to you, those particular issues? Because as a young queer kid, I felt isolated, uh, and I felt like I had no one to turn to, and I felt like there was no one like me. As uh, a college student, I remember meeting my first professor who was who was impacted by and living with global AIDS and how dramatically that changed my life and I, how it changed my perception on people who contract the disease. And so that just forever impacted me. And then as, as someone who has friends who are getting older and who don't have any family, the issue of our LGBTQIA senior citizens is very important because who's going to take care of them? It's up to a younger generation to be sure they respond to them. Now, when did you know you were gay? Because you're from a pretty small um, town. Yeah, uh, Greentown, Ohio, North Canton, Ohio. I knew I was gay probably around puberty. Did you know what that meant to be gay? Or did you just say, I'm gay, I'm different? Uh, I don't know what that means exactly. No, I didn't put any. What gay means is much more than the act of sex. Mm-hmm. And so what I knew gay to mean was anything other than I am not like other people. It's kind of like, you know, I love the question when I get asked this. Did I know when I was gay? Did you know when you were straight? So I think we all come to a full-term conclusion of who we are as we as we grow through life. And we come to understand who we are and what we do and the things that make us tick and the things that make us beautiful, you know? Mm-hmm. So what do you think the thing is that makes Nina West? Because Nina West is different from you, right? Um, I see that she is a, a larger-than-life personification of Andrew. She's just louder than I am. She's much more playful than I am. But it's all me, you mm-hmm. know? So I think... While it's a character, and a character that I've created, it's also a character that I've been with for 18 years. And so I know a lot about her primarily because it's basically just me. (laughs) (laughs) Just in a very different, just in a very different way. It's Andrew in a really super hyper personified way. You louder, huh? You've been actually cracking me up on uh, RuPaul with the faces. Oh, thank you. I had no idea they were catching all of that. That's what's so crazy. I had no idea that that was happening. Has that ever gotten you in trouble making faces in school? Were you ever, like, scolded for, you know, <laughs> making a face when the teacher told you something? Um, no, I just don't have a poker face. I <laughs> <laughs> really was never. No, I never. I was, like, a model student because, I think partially because I was gay and I was the youngest child and the only boy in my family. I was really good, and I never wanted to get in trouble, and I never got in trouble, and I overcompensated because of the things that I knew were, about me were different. Is your your family pretty accepting of everything now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm very, my mom and dad are my best friends. I'm very close to my family. Did you know your face was so expressive? It's just like. Oh, yeah. My entire life, my entire life, that's all I've heard. That my, oh, your face, your face is so funny. You make you make some funny facial expressions. And that's, that was the first kind of comment that I got when I started drag. It was like, oh, my gosh, your face is so funny. And I was like, oh, I can be funny. Because I previously, I thought that drag was, was how, well, you could be an illusion of mm-hmm. a woman. Found out drag is much more than that. Yeah, drag is much more than just looking like a woman. Uh, drag is like any kind of personification of the art form that you want to bring to the table. And so as soon as I found that out, I was freed. <laughs> could be whatever I wanted. Now, do you consider yourself like a comedy queen then? Or is that too limiting? I think I'm an entertainer, first and foremost. I think for all intents and purposes on Drag Race, I am the comedy queen or the camp queen. But I think in the big, broader scope of the bigger like swath of drag, I'm definitely like an entertainer. 
I do dark productions. I do campy. I do colorful. I work with kids. I do story times. How my the art form presents itself is so different. I don't think I'm one note. So you didn't do the showy, big showy, over the top kind of stuff at first. You did like more was it pageanty kind of stuff. No, when I first started, I was just trying to get my bearings, and I didn't do a drag pageant until about ten years into my career. Oh, really? Eight years into my career. Yeah, because it's pageants are expensive. I didn't want to waste my money on something that really, I didn't want to have to buy my way into a sisterhood or a family. I come from a really strong drag family called the West Family. And, you know, I have a drag mother. She has a drag mother. I have drag children. I have drag sisters. And there was no need for me to, like, buy my way into or, like, spend the money on a drag pageant. And at least that's how I thought about it. And then I went and did pageantry, and I was schooled in a whole new world of drag that taught me a bunch of other stuff that I didn't know, (laughs) you know? Is there anything you want to say to the people in Dayton? Oh, Dayton, thank you so much for being so supportive of me over all of these years. And I can't wait to see you soon. All right, there you go. Thanks a lot for taking the time for me. I appreciate it. I know your fans here in Dayton will, too. Of course. All right, well, hey, you have a, a great day. I hope to talk to you soon. I hope you win. Thank you so much. I told you Nina has some great stories to tell. You can find her on the current season of RuPaul Drag Race and on stages in Columbus and the world. The What Had Happened Was podcast is sponsored by Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising find solutions for your digital needs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate it if you want it to win glory. The What Had Happened Was podcast is produced and edited by me, Amelia Robinson, and the WHIO Radio Studios. The show's artwork is by... My buddy, Troy Liming of TL Creates of Columbus. Until next time, see you later, now and laters, after a while, alligators. Bye.